and welcome back to another episode of Our Generation on Air. My name is Alex Pullimore and this week we have got a bumper episode for you. Mainly because just before recording this podcast I realised we have a game against Blackpool on Tuesday. So, you know, I guess we're obliged to preview that as well. Joining me in this obligation is Micah Chudley. Micah, welcome. Yes sir, hello, hello. How are you Alex? All good mate, how are you? Oh uh, yeah, I'm not too bad. I'm, my legs have recovered from um, being stood up for about 90 minutes, charting away. Uh, we'll, we'll get into why it was only 90 minutes later on in the pod. <laughs> but yeah. Well, um, I was just about to ask you if you've recovered from Charlton QPR. So that covers that nicely. Um, we will get into that in due course, as well as previewing our clash with Sunderland this Saturday, uh, which features a great interview with Graham Fork from the What the Fork podcast. Uh, but first, let's look back on happier times, which it seems like a weird thing to say, considering that it was only last Saturday. Um, we managed to claim our first win of the season. And at full time, things actually felt quite good, didn't they, Micah? Felt really great, actually, didn't they? <laughs> I mean, like, um, as it goes, it was a nervy game, but in the end, everything works out. Yeah, you know, I think upon reflection in the game, like I think us going three 0 up probably kind of like skewered the kind of sort of. I don't know, like the the, the actual context of the game. I think three two was probably a fair result. Um, I know it looks bad because we were three 0 up and we conceded two. But um, to be quite honest with you, I think it was two quite evenly matched sides uh, on the day. Um, and um, yeah, it's, it's quite funny to say that um, quality sort of won on the day. But I think when you when you see uh, when you see that first goal, which I'm sure you'll talk about, we'll talk about. Sorry, uh, you'll understand like why the quality sort of shone through on the day. Yeah, I didn't think it was sort of the perfect performance from us. Uh, like any stretch of the imagination, even in the first half when we're three 0 up, you're sort of thinking there's, you know, this isn't gonna, it's not gonna stay like this, surely not. Because even though Middlesbrough weren't amazing, they still, <clears throat> I mean, they still go and score a goal in the first half, yeah. don't they, to make it three one. Um, and it's still a decent team, isn't it, Middlesbrough? Yeah. You know, whether or not you know Wilder feels like he's got his full squad yet, that's that's still the the bones of a decent side. Yeah, absolutely. And in the second half, you could kind of see the side that was fancied uh, for getting automatic promotion. But from their point of view, it'd be disappointing that you kind of only see about 30 minutes of that sort of side before it fades away. Uh, and in the end, I mean, you know, if I rewatch it now, I'm pretty sure they didn't have many chances after their disallowed goal. Um, so, no. you know, in the end, it might have actually been a well-controlled victory for us. But like you said, the main thing that most people would have seen from that game, if you weren't there, would have been this amazing goal from Chris Willock. So like, I mean, you know, coming back from injury a long time out, by no means was this his best game ever, but about 30 seconds of pure brilliance, wasn't it? Yeah, it's funny because I remember I went with my brother and we were both screaming at him to pass it to chair. He was running, uh, he was cutting in from the left. And uh, I, th I think there'd been a couple moments in the game before I think Chair had held on to the ball a bit too long. Um, so, and Willock and whoever else had been running at their defence. So we were just kind of like, oh. and then 
<laughs> he just launches it from 25 yards into the top corner. Like it's one of those ones where like he just like perfectly kissed between like the crossbar and the post, didn't it? Um, yeah, yeah, very special, very very special. Are oh, you even? You kind of giving him a bit of service here. He kind of gets the ball in the left back position and charges forward, manages to have the strength to fend off not one but two Middlesbrough defenders, and then just sort of thinks, ah. Oh, I'll have a go from here. <laughs> Turns out to probably be goal of the season. I know the next day or the day before, whatever, that Watford player scored from the halfway line. But that, you know, that's just pot luck, mate. Like you can, any, it's a good goal, but what Willett did is about 10 times better. But it I think was... you've got to think about how far he ran as well. Right? Exactly. He's, 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 he's covered a considerable distance of the pitch there. Like, and then he kept on running because he ended up in the corner flag on the sort of right-hand side for his celebration. So he's literally <laughs> covered the whole pitch in scoring and in celebration. Uh, so, yeah, it was a fantastic, fantastic goal. Um, seems like we've got a bit of a habit for scoring brilliant goals at home against Middlesbrough. Flashbacks to Chair's screamer last season. Um, yeah. In, I guess it kind of a similar game to that. They showed a lot of promise at times. We were good at times. And then like it sort of fades out into a kind of even result. Or not an even result this time, but a fair result, certainly. Um, <clears throat> the second goal, Zach Steffen does as, as Zach Steffen does, doesn't he? Like, And kind of, if you watch the FA Cup semi-final last year, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. Just sort of like a lapsing concentration. I don't know. Like, But he just, he comes for the ball expects the ball to sort of land in his hands and then it's just not there. It's bouncing off the back of Jimmy Dunn's head. Yeah, I think he, he, he was... Was he trying to claim that he was like pushed in the back or something? I think so, yeah. I, I mean, I think he's just tried to catch the ball and he's missed it. <laughs> like, I, I don't really know who's... I've watched it back like five, six times now. I haven't got a clue who could have pushed him. No, there's no one near him. I think he's just appealing out of embarrassment, isn't he? Because he, know, he knows in the moment that he's messed up. Um, and it's kind of... I know we've said that they're going to be challenging at the top end of the table, but if he keeps playing like that, they're going to struggle to get into the playoffs. Like, he can't be having keepers dropping howlers like that. We'll get on to the third goal in very shortly, but he doesn't exactly cover himself in glory for that one either, I don't think, regardless of how well Dykes does. Um but yeah, it, it, there's nothing more to sort of say about it, is there? Like, it's just a howler. It came literally out of nowhere. I don't think Jimmy Dunn even knows anything about it. It just kind of hits him, doesn't it? Well, as, as we said many a time on this podcast, he's a passionate guy, Jimmy. And he just sort of doesn't <laughs> celebrate, does he? <laughs> yeah, because I I was thinking he's he's undercooked the celebration a little bit. But when I, when I actually saw the goal back, I was like, oh, OK, it's, it's just hit him. So yeah. yeah It'd be a bit, it'd be a little bit cheeky to be sort of like fist pumping, like ripping your shirt off, celebrate him on like that. Um, but yeah, yeah, do you know what? Like, fair play, like, set, we've got that new set piece coach. Um, we just brought in, haven't we? And obviously, two set piece goals. So, um, improvement, you could say. Yeah, improvement going forward. Defensively, we'll get onto that, I'm sure, in due course has not really seen much of improvement so far. Um, but the second goal, as you alluded to there, lovely ball in by Stefan Johansson. Dykes makes a nice little run. It kind of, if you watch it back, I think they use field as a bit of a decoy, don't they? 
and he. Nah, just what I was about to say. Oh, I'm sorry, but you can go go well, on. Nah, nah, I was gonna say I I wasn't sure if it was Field or Dicky actually, um, but I, I liked that. I think that's clearly like been done on the training ground, doesn't it? Because it was obviously Field or Dicky or whoever it was has made that run, and they're so preoccupied with him. Like obviously Dykes has just kind of slipped between. Yeah, two of them. And he gets um, on the right side of the defender, and it's it's a good finish in the end. Yeah, so it's actually a really good header, to be fair. Like, it's it's obviously, like, you know, it's, it's a bit of a clear-cut chance, and the ball's been put on a plate for him, but he's, he's still got a bit to do. And I've, I've seen more than enough um, QPR strikers miss from that distance in my time. So, um, <laughs> so um, nah, it was, it was a good finish. And do you know what? I think he, he deserved his goal on Saturday. Um, I think there's been a little bit of criticism towards him. Um, spotlight has been on him and to be fair rightly so you know if you're if you're going to wear the number nine shirt for, for any football club uh you know the pressure is going to be on you to score goals but do you know what on Saturday he put himself about he gave um middles of a back three like a really tough time and um and he deserved his goal so um yeah hopefully more more to come from it absolutely and that's kind of where I was going to allude to next sort of like what's your thoughts on him because there's been a lot of uh clamor to get a certain youth player into the side, which I know you're an, you're a fan of. Um, but it was nice to see him, you know, it came off for him at the weekend. He works incredibly hard. Um, he just doesn't have the sort of... Um, he doesn't have the pace to constantly be causing a lot of problems for defenders when closing down, I guess. So he has got to pick his moments. And... Yeah. He's not, especially at the weekend, it was a really hot day. It, not, probably not as hot as it is today, but it was incredibly hot to keep running like that for nearly, I think he did, he did play the full 90, didn't he? No, he didn't, sorry. No, he yeah, came off. Bond came on. Yeah, but around 70, I think it was. Came to on. do the sort of running he was doing for 70 minutes must have been incredibly hard in that heat. So uh, a fair play to him. A lot of credit goes to Dyke's way. Um mentioned that we've got this set piece coach um it's probably more of a thing for dan because he's very excited about the fact that we've actually got a set piece coach now um but we've scored two goals in this game from it but across the last three games including charlton we have conceded three goals either from a set piece or from like the rebound of a set piece so you know do you think it's probably time that they had a look at what they're doing in the setup for corners especially because it doesn't this was something that we seemed to start to do last season they've carried it over to this year except that we've got all of our players back in the box now and we've still got that sort of like four there's four players on the six yard box um and it the goal kind of comes from it because dicky i mean dicky's there like but he can't he just does can't do much because i can't remember who it was is it brooks or something i don't know that he like kind of Crooks or something is that his name? I've completely forgotten. It's something like that. It's Crooks. Is it Crooks? Crooks. But he like gets a run on him because no one, whoever's like picking him up, just leaves him, and he gets a run on it, and he's able to just head it into the back of the net. What I, I don't understand why, uh, you know, maybe I'm, you know, not that tactically minded, but for me, it doesn't make sense why you'd have. Jimmy Dunn and Dickey and two of your other probably biggest players standing on the edge of the six-yard box and not sort of marking a player anyway. 
and letting those their big players get a run at our centre backs. Yeah, I I didn't understand it to be honest with you. Um, you 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 say that it might be time to have a look at it. Honestly, it was time to have a look at it in March because it, <laughs> it was getting ridiculous. <laughs> it was getting absolutely ridiculous. Um, yeah, I, I I don't really remember what much about the goal at at the like at the time in the stadium, but having watched it back, yeah, you could probably argue that maybe Dickie should do a little bit better there. Um, but in terms in terms of the corner setup, I, I guess the only thing I can really do is kind of give this new guy and the new setup the benefit of the doubt. It might be a situation that like look, we've we've gone completely different direction with how we're going to set up defending corners. Um, so you know maybe it's a thing of like oh there's going to be teething pains. You know we're going to concede a couple goals. There's going to be mishaps. Um, I I do think. Um, it needs to sort of be fixed soon because I do think we are probably getting a bit of a reputation as a team that like from set pieces, oh, we can get a QPR. Um, they've conceded, they've conceded countless goals from set pieces since March. Like we, we, we're going to target them. We're going to work on our set pieces in games. So yes, I'll give them the benefit of the doubt. Um, but the clock is definitely ticking before it becomes yeah. an issue. I think that the thing that annoys me as well is that we've got these 11 players back. Uh, it's something that my dad rabbits on about all the time. Why not just leave someone up the pitch? Because when you leave, say, chair, chair's not going to be like that useful in defending a corner. Smallest player on the pitch most of the time, unless Thomas is playing. If you have him like right up the top of the pitch, to at, le- at least one, probably more likely, two of the opposition players are going to get pulled back to marking because no yeah. one that that just seems to be how it goes nowadays like they always have two players on the in the fence now if you leave someone up top so why aren't we doing that why are we allowing them to have just having this crowded box where everyone's marking someone apart from four of our biggest players um and then we're not leaving anyone on the edge of the box either so there's been two goals two very well taken goals two fantastic strikes in the game against Charlton and the game against Blackburn, but it's clearly not giving our players the time to actually close down the player at the edge of the box. And you could argue that they need to to run quick or whatever, but like, why not just put someone there anyway, so that 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 shot can't be taken so easily. Why why is it? Because otherwise the player's going to have to turn, react and go towards it. In that time, the player's already got the ball. And it's happened yeah, twice was, now. That was really winding me up. Um, Middlesbrough, not so much, because obviously we were winning and the sun was out. But on on um, on Tuesday against Charlton, it was very much like, it's just so much open space like between like the edge of the box and the halfway line. And it was like, I get it. We're not like the, the quickest team by any means. And we don't like particularly counter-attack well, but... It's like just give you give yourself a bit of a chance. Like obviously you've 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 got the, the more critical issue, like you've said, which is that like we conceded two, like to be fair, screamers, to be fair, mm-hmm. really, really good goals. But we've conceded two of them because there's nobody ever on the edge of the box. That's that's the more pressing part. The 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 part I'm concerned about as well is like like, you know, we you know, if you win the ball back from a corner, it's a counter-attacking opportunity. 
like you more often than not, if you've won the ball back from a corner, the two defenders like you mentioned that will be on the halfway line typically won't be defenders because they'll have their defenders in the box trying to head it in. So you'll have like one of the smaller players on the pitch and maybe a centre mid stood on the halfway line. Like Yeah, at best you're gonna get a fullback standing there, aren't you? Yeah, exactly. So so why not have like Willock and Chair ready to go up against them? Why not have um Tyler Roberts when he's back in the team sort of stood there waiting for the ball? Like even if it never comes to them realistically, what what's Willock gonna give you defending the corner? And it's take it's I mean. just taking two of their players away from an attacking situation, isn't it? Yeah, literally exactly that. So putting numbers like, back in your favour again. Yeah, so I don't know. <laughs> I don't know to be honest. Again, like I said, I'm I'm willing to give the the set piece coach and the new coach team the benefit of the doubt, and maybe like that'll be the last corner we concede all season, and we'll laugh about this in May. But um, I uh, I have reason to doubt that. Yeah, um, I just it comes back to this sort of old adage: everyone's a good player if you give them time and space. If you yep. give them, if you give a professional footballer enough time on the edge of the box to have a look at the ball and then have a, have a strike at it, you know, you'd like to think that most of the time it's going to be on target. Mm. If you're giving them the, why are you giving them the opportunity? Just you know, because Black, I don't know, I didn't see the game against Blackburn, but they didn't go on to win by a bigger margin. They scored one very good goal. It could have been nil-nil if you just clo- close out that opportunity to score. And we mm. win the game against Charlton if they don't score there as well. Mm. You know, it just it, it seems like a very easy goal to avoid or to, a goal to make harder. Like they're very good strikes, but let's try and make it a little bit more difficult for teams to actually score that goal. Because if you put a little bit of pressure on them, are they going to take a shot? I don't know. If they do, you're probably going to get a blocking. Anyway, moving on to because we still got another goal to talk about from Borough. They they were cooking at their, their second goal, weren't they? This was coming like they started the second half very well, and this looked yeah. like it was long overdue. Yeah, the very Chris Wilder goal, wasn't it? Sort of ball coming across the edge of the box from the wing back, and somebody slotting it home. Um, I I do think part of it, if you, if you watch it back, I think um, Powell, to be fair to him, I thought he had the right game. I thought he was he was actually better defensively than he was going forward. But I think a big part of that is that, obviously, he was up against Isaiah Jones, who's a very, very good player. Um, but Powell kind of gets caught between, I think it's Crooks and Jones. And he doesn't know whether to go to the wide man or come with Crooks, who was running inside. And I think he kind of gets caught between two. And then, obviously, Dunn has to shift over. Dickie has to shift over. Kakai's kind of left with, with two in the middle. Um, and, yeah, you know, obviously, um, Marcus Force has, has slotted it away because, obviously, he's been left in acres of space. But that, that, that I think, goal sort of comes down to kind of what I was worried about after watching the Palace game and kind of what, to be fair, I don't think we got punished for it at Charlton, but at times was making me nervous at Charlton, which is that, like, you know, the fullbacks got so much to do. Like, they, they in this system, they've got a ridiculous amount to do, not just in terms of, obviously, having to get forward and having to, like, essentially be, like, wingers almost, but just in terms of the fact that they then have to track back and then they then have to like slot in and be part of a defensive unit. Um, 
that that's the part that I think is going to take most adjusting to for us, uh, especially in the championship when so many teams play with um with back fives or with with three four threes or with you know with with you know the kind of wing back revolution that's kind of taking over the championship at the moment. It's like it's it's it's, it's easy to get caught if there's space on your flanks. You know what yeah. I mean? And and we're gonna have to um be able to do that without conceding because you know three games in no clean sheet yet and I can't really say I'm too surprised. No yeah fair comments. Um they certainly moved the ball well. I thought it was they moved it very you know they moved it quite quickly and it kind of exposed us uh, eventually. Uh, but after yeah. that a bit similar to the game last season they burn out uh, and we managed to shit house our way to a victory by the corner flag and a red card for Lenehan. So I mean, that yeah, was it's quite, it's funny though, isn't it? Because because I I actually thought you know until they scored their second goal, they were on top. But after the second goal, I thought we probably, if anything, deserved another. I think Adoma had a good chance um, yeah. that went just wide. Um, there was a couple of others that I'm forgetting. Uh, Chair had a good chance right after their second goal. We kind of um, quite similar to the the situation at Blackburn where. Um, he probably should have passed it to Dykes. <clears throat> Same again this week. Probably should have passed it to Dykes. But um, I, I, I was, in, I was actually quite encouraged. I was actually quite encouraged by the last twenty minutes because you know it'd be a very typical QPR thing to fold there. But I think, in terms of game management and in terms of kind of that resilience, it was a very um, mature performance. Yeah. Uh, so well, let's move on to the uh, less. Um... I was gonna say, I, I'm trying to think of something clever there. I'm just gonna say it was bad, just bad, wasn't it? Like the Charlton game was just bad. That nothing happened in the first half, so we can scoot over that very quickly. There's nothing, nothing happened at all. So there, there's barely. I think we went, like you said to me during the game. I think one chair went into the box once by accident. Like apart from that, like, <laughs> nothing else happened. Uh, but we will go through the team because there was quite a few changes. So Nico Thomas. Dazelle, Bon, and Adoma all came in. Stephanie Hansen and Dykes moved to the bench. Amos, Willock, and Powell all out injured. And then Armstrong and Roberts made it onto the bench this week. So the first half, as I said, wasn't fun, wasn't interesting, wasn't anything. Second half was better, though. Uh, there was a f- five subs made. Shadipo, Roberts, Armstrong, Johansson, and Drew all came on. Uh, and... Bill said after the game that he asked them to play with the handbrake off. He, you know, asked them to go at it a little bit more. And this kind of has been, and his, not just that, but his whole post-match interview has been praised a bit by people. Um, again, I kind of, you know, come back to the idea of what is a manager meant to say after a defeat or a win? Like it, the, the post-match interview is the most pointless thing ever. Apart from the fact that he told us that three players were injured, I couldn't care less about what Mick Bill had to say. It, what he says in interviews is not going to be uh, the most important thing this season. It's going to be what he says in the change rooms on the training ground. That's where he has influence. And it's, you know, if Mark Warburton said the same thing 50,000 times in a pro- post-match interview, I do not care. Because again, that is not... He did, by the way. He, he did. did say the same he thing. did. It is, and it doesn't matter. Like, it just doesn't matter at all. But apparently that's a thing that does matter. What was frustrating for me in this interview is the fact that he asked them to play with the handbrake off. Why, are we, why weren't we playing like that in the first half? 
Do you know what? For me, the 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 change of the front three really helped because um, um, Robert Shadipo and Armstrong just injected so much pace up top, and I just felt like in the first half the ball was just getting stuck with chair, or it was getting stuck with um, it was getting stuck with the doma, and it was like there's nobody running on. Um, you know, Bond. You know, he worked hard, but you know, it's questions about how good Bond is. They're still gonna sort of linger. Um, but I think with 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 Armstrong, Shadipo, and Roberts, I think what that did, at least for the for this particular game, anyway, what that did is it sort of gave Charlton a little bit more to think about. We kind of played a bit in front of them too much in the first half. Roberts especially was getting on the ball and he was just looking to drive at every single point. And I was really mm-hmm. impressed with him. I get it's League One, um, but I was he was he was head and shoulders above everybody else. On, um, on Tuesday for the 25-odd minutes he was on. Um, again, of course, I'm going to mention Armstrong. I like Armstrong. I'm not convinced he's a striker. I think he drifts off to the left too much. Yeah, so I'm not he, quite... was, he did that a lot, didn't he? He did. He did. And for Roberts, to be fair, for Roberts' goal, that created the space for Roberts to kind of score. But I think um, if people are looking for Sinclair to come in and be a 20-goal-a-season striker, I think He's got a big future, but I think probably as a as a left winger more than a striker. But again, I I haven't seen a lot of him yet, so I can't really comment. Um, and and Shadipo finally, you know, you know what you're gonna get with Shadipo. You know, very direct, very good running. The final product still at 25 is very shaky, but um, I think that's what changed the game for me. And I think Roberts is actually going to be quite um an important player for us based off um based off Tuesday night, I think we've got ourselves a, a really decent sort of attacking option on our hands. Absolutely. It's interesting you mentioned about um, Armstrong there because I thought he was, I mean, it was exciting, I guess, uh, the size of him and seeing him running at Charlton, like season Charlton pros. And so they were scared. <laughs> like you could tell like, they were backing away. They were backing away. And he, you know, he had that sort of, he had that keen sort of youthness, youthlessness to his play he just wanted to run for everything uh which was nice to see and but and here is a big but he's so raw it to me it never felt like he was actually going to score it felt like he was going to get about and he would cause a few problems and he would put pressure on them and yeah he creates the space for that robert skull when roberts does amazing with that finish i mean we're lucky to see two fantastic goals from qpr players this week but he never felt like, like maybe because he was drifting wide a bit too much. There was a few times when crosses came in, you're looking for like our massive striker to be in there, and he's not in there. Yeah, I think, yeah, that's why I think he's probably more of a, at this stage, probably a bit more of a sort of like a left winger cutting in on his right. He had a good moment, I think it was his first real touch of the ball, where he beat a Charlton player and he's he's tried to cut it back to Shadipo, but I think his last touch was a bit heavy, so it, it kind of messed up the cross. Um, so yeah, yeah, for me, there, there, there's a makings of a good player there, um, definitely. Um, but it, it's, it, I don't think we're going to see results from him right away. I think we might with him towards, you know, the end of the season, you might start seeing he's a little bit more refined. He's got more games under his belt. Then you might start, you know, seeing him as a, as a sort of a, an option to be playing every week. I think, he, I think he's going to need a little bit of time around the first team but 
that being said, definitely a really exciting prospect. Um, yeah, I think I think we've got a good one on our hands. Absolutely. Um, as I mentioned as well, Roberts with a very nice, very nice finish. Unfortunately, as we've already mentioned, there was probably a better goal at the other end uh, to take it to one all. I thought, like like we mentioned with um, Armstrong, Jeffrey and Wide, there was never enough players actually getting into the box. Like, no, not in right the first into the centre. Like there, there's no one in there. There was plenty of Charleston players back, and you look across and uh, like Shadipo's maybe at the bank post. Uh, you know, Roberts probably more edge of the box. It just didn't seem like we were attacking no. with enough bodies. Um, but it didn't. They didn't really seem interested throughout the whole game, did they? Apart from that sort of last bit of the second half. Yeah, which I was surprised by because all the comments that Mick Bill made pre-game about the players saying, "Oh, you need to earn the shirt," like they, they, I think I think West London Sport hinted that the players didn't like how much Warburton chopped and changed in certain games. Um, so you know, Mick Bill come in and said that the players feel you should earn the shirt. So I, I thought, you know, we'd see kind of a straight out the blocks kind of performance that we'd saw for the first 30 at Blackburn and against Middlesbrough, but it was very laboured, very slow. It was kind of felt like QPR felt all they had to do was kind of show up that they'd win. Mm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And then you get the pain of penalties. I mean, I like Senny, but I don't think you'll find a worse goalkeeper <laughs> with a penalty. Rep. We've had a lot of penalty shootouts recently, but he has not been near many of them. Has he saved one yet? Apparently, he's. You'd have to go back to the Everton game, where he saved the Tom Davis penalty. Apparently, I barely even remember that. But I think he definitely had the... to retake one because he came off his line, and that was like don't forget the penalties in that game. It went to like, like the final score on penalties like eight seven or something like that. So yeah, like, yeah, it was a long shootout, wasn't it? Yeah. Um... So, Plenty of comparison. <laughs> yeah. And apart, he, he could have saved the last Charlton penalty, which is frustrating. But for like the first three, he had no idea which side to go. Like he just was nowhere near him. I've got I've got I've full disclosure now. Um I've got to be honest with you. Um, because I had to drive because I was late for the game, basically. I thought the game kicked off at, um at eight. So it's not uh, like you to be late for something, is it? No, of course not. Um <laughs> and uh, yeah, so so there I am arriving, parking at Charlton at ten to eight, thinking, yeah, got here nice and early. Um, game's been going for five minutes, so by the time I got to the stadium, it's been about fifteen. I think I messaged you, didn't that About fifteen minutes late by the time I got in. Um, you didn't miss where anything. I my, Yeah, well, it gets even worse because because of where I parked my car after Robert scored, there was only about five minutes left, and I got the. Charlton hadn't shown anything in the second half. So I thought, I've never leave games early, right? I've never, I, as, a, as, like, as a principal, I do not leave games early. But I was like, like Charlton have not shown anything the second half. Like, surely I could just go. Literally, as I'm walking up the street to get to my car, I just hear, I just hear cheering. And I'm like, it's got to be home time. So like, that's, it's got to be home time. So I, so I missed a shootout. Uh, either, you can look at that as either a positive thing for my mental health. No, I blame you for now the goal. Forget the defending, yeah. I blame you. Yeah, I'd completely blame myself, to be honest. I was like, this is because I left. Um, well, yeah, so sorry, QPR fans. Well, it was a disappointing evening. We can 
forget about the cup for a little bit until uh, the FA Cup rolls around later on next year. Um, but, you know, games come thick and fast in the championship. So if you think we've got like midweek off next week, we don't. We've got Blackpool and we've got Sunderland on the weekend. So a massive journey up to Sunderland. And we're very lucky this week because we I've been uh, doing the rounds on a few other podcasts and very nicely, Graham Falk of the What The Fork podcast has answered a few questions for us about Sunderland. So that's what you're going to hear next. And, you know, this week, me and Micah don't have to pretend too much to know about Sunderland because Graham's done all that for us. So uh, we're very, very appreciative of that. And uh, I hope you enjoy. So now I am joined by Graham Falk so, uh, for the Sunderland perspective on this weekend's game. So, Graham, thanks for coming on. Welcome. No, no problem at all. It was nice to be asked on. I enjoy talking about Sunderland, so thanks for asking me to do it. Uh, perfect. So um, we'll get right into it. It's been a pretty good start to the uh, return to the championship for you guys. Um, is this something you were sort of expecting or has it come as a, as a welcome surprise for you? It's a funny one, really, because I think um, you always expect with Sunderland sometimes the worst. But um, I think going back to when Alex Neil took over, he's just really changed a lot of the mentality in the club. And I think sometimes you need, especially with a club like Sunderland, especially when we were playing in League One, sometimes you just need a manager that will just drag you up by your bootstraps um, and just... I mean, that's probably not giving him enough credit. His, his tactics were spot on. His substitutions were spot on. The way he spoke in the media, the way that he's understood the club. So due to that, you could say the momentum, the fact that we've came into the season with a win and a draw and, and minutes away from two wins, really. And we're sitting second off top. Um, it's very early doors. But um, you could say that in some ways it's unexpected um, because of the fact that we've just been promoted. But in some ways you could say it's to be expected because... Coventry at home, I think someone would have took almost anyone at home. I would have preferred Reading or Birmingham, no offence. Um, Coventry's a tough game, but you would have took any game at home, live on Sky, 40-plus thousand fans. And then Bristol City, you know, they finished 17th last season. They're not exactly the most difficult team to play. So you could say, in some ways, there have been favourable games to begin with. I think this weekend's a bit of a bigger test, obviously. I think it's the highest-placed team we've faced in terms of last season out of the team so far. Um, but I'm delighted, you know, if we get out of this season, 14th, 15th, 16th, I'll, I'll snap your arm off for it, I think, just to be out of League One and kind of out of what is officially now our lowest era, lowest point in our history. I'm just delighted to be to be looking like we are going to cope and punching, not punching with our weight, we're just looking like we can cope with this level based on the first two games. So, um, yeah, it's been a nice surprise that Sunderland haven't completely let me down, I suppose, if you're... And neutral, you could maybe understand why we've got four points out of the first two games and, and long may it continue. Yeah. Uh, so you mentioned him there. You've got a pretty decent championship manager in Alex Neil. What kind of football has he got you guys playing? I think he's horses for courses, which is quite good. I think, um, you know, last season he kind of flicked between a, a back three and then a back four in the, in the playoffs. And you were never quite sure what he was going to go for. And, and sometimes he would match the, the team up against teams we were coming up against. Sometimes he would... He would change it and play it to our strengths. And um, 
I think in essence, he said something the other week, which was really, really important. And he said that when he took over, everyone said something we were a pressing team and he said he couldn't understand it because we were the 13th best side at pressing in the league. And he's like, that's not a pressing team. That's a team that wants to press, but isn't pressing. Um, I think he's demanding. I think tactically he knows when to make the changes in the, in the, um, in the like in-game changes. Sorry, his he's management's excellent with that, his game management. In terms of the style of football, he likes to get his wingers down the wings. He likes to get Jack Clark running at obviously the right back. He likes to get Patrick Roberts when he plays running at his right back or left back, depending on which side he's there. But a lot of it is geared around our forward line. Um, Ross Stewart is far and wide our best player. He's a player that I think anyone who watched the first two games and specifically the game against Coventry on Sky will see that there's a reason he's got 26 goals in League One last season because he's probably a decent championship striker, potentially even a good championship striker. Um, and I think I'll be proved right in time with that. And we've got a good young team around him um, in terms of like, you know, Jack Clark, Alice Sims has just came in. He scored two in his debut. He's had a good few loan spells. We're confident he's going to do well. Um, I think he's got a team that just works cohesively and is well organised, you know, does their jobs, presses when they need to press, defends when they need to defend and doesn't try to mess about too much. But if I had to kind of pinpoint, I would say a lot of it's geared around Ross Stewart. Um, but we can mix it up. A lot of it goes down the wing. Um, we'd like to try and, and sit on teams if we can, but I suppose that might change a little bit going into the championship because there's going to be teams where we're not favourites to win and you might need to sit back a little bit and maybe work on getting on the break. So time will tell. But from the League One era, he likes to sit on teams, get down the wings, get the width in there and get Ross Stewart in the box. You mentioned that uh, obviously it's kind of like your lowest, it's been your lowest point uh, as a club. Um, and with him taking you out of League One, do you reckon that, I mean, I imagine within the fans, there's quite a lot of goodwill towards him. Do you reckon he's got sort of a free pass this season in the sense of like, you know, keeping hold of his job? Not one to sort of take it down like a negative view, but sort of, you, you know, that you've got a uh, a new-ish owner who's never really done this before and we know that they kind of like to sort of chop and change a bit so is he do you reckon that he's good for your manager for a few more seasons for for me absolutely um i think we've gone a few seasons with managers that look like they might have been all right and then the flaws came come to pass too quick i think jack ross nice guy incredibly snappy dresser and um, which i can't criticize him for um and obviously he's gone on to do quite a good job at Hibs where he lost his job there. I think they might be regretting that in time. Um, Lee Johnson, I wasn't his biggest fan, but he brought in good players. He played some good football at times. We got some of our best performances and results under him and um, prior to Alex Neal in League One. Um, Phil Parkinson, yeah, we'll not discuss that. Um, that wasn't the greatest ever in, in Sunderland's history. Whereas Alex Neal just, I think when he came in, there was a big clamour for Roy Keane based on nostalgia, based on the fact that someone wanted someone that, you know, would potentially decapitate the entire team if we didn't get promoted, <laughs> um, which I think it was getting to that point within League One. But Alex Neal came in with a little, a kind of little fanfare, um, not in a negative way, it was just a case of, all right, okay, well, championship manager, yeah, he's done a decent job. I suppose that's quite a decent appointment, actually. Just didn't expect it to be Alex Neal because we basically flirted with Roy Keane for about three weeks. Mm. Um but he came in and he's lost one game. We're 18 unbeaten in competitive games. For me, yeah, totally free. Unless we go down like a sinking stone. And even if we did, would I be the would I trust him to bring us back up? Yeah, absolutely. Whether he would stay, I don't know. Um, 
my biggest concern is that he does exceptionally well with us and someone else sees him. I think, you know, I've seen him got taken from Hamilton when he did a good job and he took then Norwich to the Premier League um, via the playoffs. Um, so he's managed in the Premier League. And, and, and for me, I think he's still got a bit of a ceiling to reach. He's still quite young and he's been my favourite manager we've had since probably Sam Allardyce and maybe even more so. And, and, and maybe that's rose tinted glasses because he got us promoted. But one defeat in 18, he's gradually improved us. I love the way he speaks. Everything that comes out of his mouth just makes sense. And I've said for a long time, when it comes to Sunderland and the managers that we have, it needs to be a manager that gets it. And a lot of managers that are liked at Sunderland tend to have the same attitude and the same um, outlook on life, not just football. You know, Sam Allardyce, Peter Reid, Mick McCarthy had a little bit of success with us as well. Roy Keane, Alex Neal, they're all straight talking, sharp shooting managers that just say what they think. And and that that resonates with, I think, the Northeast, let alone just Sunderland. Mm. And um, it appears that he's the marriage of Alex Neal and Sunderland is perfect. And unless things go, on, go completely pear-shaped, I can't see any Sunderland fan at least wanting to let him go for a long, long time yet. You said there that you sort of flirted with uh, Roy Keane for a bit. And I kind of find that interesting because watching him on Sky Sports, I could never actually imagine him managing another club again because of the way he just speaks about the players. Do, do you feel like, obviously, with the benefit of hindsight, you've been promoted now. Do you reckon Roy Keane, we could have ever got you up? Because I can't imagine him sort of like, you know, because he just seems to go, he goes that step too far, I think. He just wouldn't be anyone's friend. I think Do it's you... an interesting one. I think when he was when he was with us, he actually did really well. Um, yeah. We liked him a lot. He got us promoted. He won us the championship. Um, he came in when we were bottom of the league. He did a very, probably a better job than Alex Neal in some ways, considering where he took us from. Obviously, he was backed by money and a consortium, and, and that kind of did help because he brought in six players on deadline day. But... I think I'm a romantic. I think football fans tend to be, and we have a very good vision of Roy Keane. And I think for all of his, um, you could say negatives and, and the way that he speaks about people, which I suppose some people would see as positives. I guess in some ways, if he's got you, if he's got your team promoted in the past, even if it's 10, 15 years ago, and he's got them promoted against all the odds, you kind of go, well, that must work. Yeah. There was some dissenting voices that said that's not going to work. Like Roy Keane's not going to work because he's been out of work for so long. There's a reason he didn't have a job. He didn't have a good job with with Ipswich. Mm. Um, and hindsight is a wonderful thing. I was fully behind Roy Keane ahead of Alex Neal ahead of anyone else because I think when you really look back to what League One was for Sunderland, especially at that time, that was around the time we re-signed Jermaine Defoe. We all know how that went. There was a case of like going with what you know almost might actually get us out rather than going with something new or fresh or different. And you were just so desperate to get out of that division. And at the time, what I think a lot of people don't realise is that we were like first, second, third under Lee Johnson and gradually falling into the playoffs and then kind of dropped to seventh. And and it was just, oh God, we're seventh. Like we might not even make the playoffs. And it got to a point where the top two, top three were running away with it by sort of March time. So any manager that we had didn't need just to have a good run so we had, you know, a good run going into the playoffs. They needed to be a manager that had a good run to get us in the playoffs because everyone was beating everyone or everyone was around the same sort of place and it was so tight. And I think a lot of us felt like someone like Roy Keane would maybe drag us through or, or not accept anything less. Alex Neal is a very similar kind of manager, not in the way that he speaks about people. He's very blunt in the same fashion. I think he's actually a better tactical manager. I would never tell Roy that to his face because <laughs> I, I value my life. But um, 
I think in hindsight, Alex Neal was always the better appointment, but for yeah. maybe similar reasons that people thought Roy Keane might have been the right appointment, but in hindsight, you've got to say Alex Neal was just, the marriage just fits and Roy Keane would have probably, if not the wrong choice, not the, the not a right as a choice as Alex Neal was. So uh, unfortunately, I'm going to have to ask you about the Netflix documentary now. Mm-hmm. Um, you've got uh, Kirill Lewis, Lewis Dreyfus, mm-hmm. club majority shareholder now. Um, and I think, is it Charlie Meaven who's no longer part of the club in any way? Methan, yeah. Methan, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. Are you kind of hoping that the club has moved on from the sort of crazy and stupid things that were documented in that documentary? Because for the wider footballing public, unfortunately, we, it sounds like we're not going to get another series of that. But for you guys, it's probably a welcome relief. It's part of me that wishes it was there last year, but then would the, the same thing have happened if cameras were there? I don't know. I mean, it was funny because... Um, the first season I actually really enjoyed as, as painful as it was to watch because that, that was the worst season I ever remember following Sunderland. And I mean, we've obviously been at lower ebbs in League One since that championship season, but it was so demoralising getting relegated twice. Um, I just remember it being a really sad time. I mean, I've been a season ticket holder since 97. I've been going to Roker Park since 93. And I just didn't want to go anymore. Like, I, I travel every single week from Glasgow. Um home every single game the majority oh you know six or seven away uh, seven or eight away games should i say um so to say the majority wouldn't be right but i was in i was in portugal the other week for our pre-season games and um you know i, I love something and i didn't want to go anymore because we were getting beat two nil at home off you know brentford ipswich villa beating us three nil and it was like not that any of those teams shouldn't beat us but it was just like i'm just turning up here because i have no other option because this is all i know and it was it was awful. So the season was disgusting. Um, and I would hate to ever live through that ever again in my life. And because you knew the club was in the, the wrong direction as well. Um, under Ella Shaw, obviously our previous owner prior mm. to Donald and Methven. But the, the series itself really shone a light on Sunderland and why we kept going anyway, even yeah. though we didn't want to. And and that was what I really liked about season one. So I've got I've actually got a bit of affection for season one. Because I think when people watched it, it's nice now when, not that Sunderland were an unknown club, we're obviously a big club, but I think when you mentioned Sunderland now, someone goes, oh, I love that first season. That second season, which we'll come on to, is a bit of a different conversation. But the first one, people go, you lot are mad. You were rubbish and you kept going. And it's like, yeah, yeah that's all I know. Like, that's all. That's kind of all we have. And it showcased Sunderland as a city. And certainly the Sunderland I remember, unfortunately, left 10 years ago, um, exactly what the city and the people were about. And I loved it, but... The second season, um, I'm quite happily put in the bin because of all the reasons you said before. It's incredibly entertaining TV, but awful as a Sunderland fan. And and, and I don't know whether you, you notice and, and whether the fans will notice, and I assume not so, but had a small part in season two where um, I interviewed Charlie Methven via a podcast, and we had a disagreement about Will Grigg. Um, so it's fair to say, I think if anyone wants to watch it back, I think it's episode four. I will be um, now. I, I will. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't get on. We just didn't get on. And, and... I can't blame you because the guy comes across as a complete idiot. Like it just in everything that he does. I felt kind of not sorry, but sort of like the other guy seemed sort of out of his depth, but it didn't seem yeah. malicious or anything. The other... Method was just an idiot. Like, 
I think for me, and maybe this is, um, and I, I like to speak as positively as I can about people, but mm-hmm. mess with my football club and it becomes um, a bit of a different matter. For me, he just strikes me as someone that didn't get Sunderland and someone that looked down on Sunderland and looked down on North and treat us a bit like Luddites. And um, I think, you know, if you watch about the episode where I discuss the team, he tries to speak me down and he tries to say that's not the place to discuss that. And it is the place to discuss that. I'm a fan asking you questions about my football club. I'm in, I'm in, we as fans are in, in, in the chair here, mate, you know, yeah. not you who didn't know much about the club and, a lot of things came out about him and um, that he said stuff about the club. Um, he said that, you know, we didn't take enough to Wembley against Charlton. We took 35,000 there six weeks after we went to Wembley. The North is not an affluent area. Like yeah. it's not, you know, we can't afford to go to Wembley every six weeks. We want to, um, we can't afford always season tickets in every single way game. We've got a daft bunch that do, and we'll spend their last penny. You know, I knew someone the other week that went to, can't remember which away game it was now, but it was a oh, it was, I think it was Bradford in preseason, and they went down with not penny in their pocket. They had enough for a ticket, and they went down, didn't eat, didn't drink, went down to the game. And he would almost treat that with contempt, as if like you know you should be going every game. That's what you should be doing. That support, and it just for me, I wasn't on board with it. And there's a lot mm. of questions about how they bought the club. I won't go into that because I don't want to get sued, which I, I think he potentially might have considered doing at some point. <laughs> Um, Stuart Donald was kind of I, I kind of agree in a way I don't feel sorry for him as much knowing what he was part of I've got little sympathy but watching it I can understand why people were like oh god this guy's completely out of his depth I mean the Will Grigg situation was just ludicrous don't get me wrong at the time fans wanted Will Grigg to be signed we'd lost Madger who was a massive part of that season and we probably would have got promoted in my opinion if we kept him he went agents and things happen that we don't know the full story obviously the way it was edited it was like Madger had went because his agent had told him and done a, a number but that's good editing isn't it you never really know yeah. unless you're actually in the conversation in, in that in that guy's head and um, Josh Madger's certainly remembered more fondly than, than those two um, the weird thing for me with Stuart is that he obviously isn't a majority owner anymore but he he said on a podcast um when I'm not wanted, you know, when the fans let me know I'm not wanted, I'll go. He's been told numerous times and he's still here. Yeah. He still has an ownership stake and he might not be very vocal with it. He might not be around the club, but he still has a stake. And like, with all due respect, you know, I don't wish him any ills or any heirs. I don't, I don't want any anything necessarily bad to happen to him. I came to, you know, his business is to liquidate, but mm. we don't want him. We haven't for a while. Yeah. Um, it's time for him to, like, time to move on, is it, like? In a sense, yeah. Like, for me, stop hanging on for extra money, mate. If you don't want to be here and you said you leave when the fans don't want you, we've made it pretty clear. Um, but of the two of them, Methven for me was definitely the the more evil of the two. And I will use that word because um, my football club means a lot to me and I'm very pleased he's gone. And, and hopefully with Kirill, you know, there's question marks as certain people he's got within the club still that I'm not too happy with. Um, but in the main, you know, I'll, I'll give him a fair crack of the whip he's got us promoted under his stewardship and he's brought good managers in and he's he seems to have some sort of idea of how to run a football club there's always a danger with bringing in new owners like this that they you can kind of just sort of wave them in and just sort of go yeah yeah we'll take anyone in sort of because nothing could be worse than what we've already got um and mm-hmm. qpr certainly a club that's been fond of do, doing that in the past just before our current sort of 
ownership structure came into place, the the two guys that were leading us beforehand were just a nightmare. A lot so of like, it. That was a lot of the thing with Stuart and Charlie. Yeah. Well, it can't be worse than what we've just had. So even though these guys sound a little bit too, you know, Etonite from our liking and sound like they might not quite get us as a as a community and as a football club. It can't be worse than that. Yeah. It was. It was. Yeah. So yeah. Right. Let's move on from that uh point because we've got uh, a former QPR player to talk about, Jack Clark, someone that you've already mm-hmm. told me that you quite like. So, you know, as I've mentioned already, he was someone that didn't really feature that much for us. Uh partly due to the fact that he looked like he wasn't going to be able to play uh, first-team football in the second division. Um, uh, he kind of became more famous for QPR fans because of a uh, a social media video that it, from like a team meal or something like that, they were playing the trick on him. They got the, you know, the spoons where you hit him over the back of the head or something like that. He get he got he was the unlucky one in the middle. So like he gets he's like sort of like trying to hit someone around the head and then let someone else do it and he just gets smacked around the back of the head. So they're just like the club of, the 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 players are making fun of him. That's why he gets remembered, I think, more than most. Um, and that was a pretty bad explanation of the situation. But what are your thoughts on him? Jack's an interesting one. Um, I think Sunderland fans as a whole might view this very differently than I do, but I can only ever give my viewpoint and, and hopefully it's a, a fair assessment. When, when he first came, um, obviously he'd been in Stoke, he'd been at QBR and we knew that he hadn't done much at both of those clubs, but we knew that he'd been promoted with Leeds and was a big part of their team. Um, so you thought, well, league one, he, he came in with a, a lot of young players that we signed recently that are around 20, 21, 22, 23, that need a bit of a, a kickstart or, have a potential retail value, which I think a lot of teams do, but it, it makes sense. Um, he came in, he had a good few substitute appearances. He's got a lot of pace, an awful lot of pace. Um, but for the first, I think, three months, he drove me absolutely mental because we played him on the left and he just cut in every single time. And it absolutely drove me balmy because I was like, just go down your left, go down your left. Um, and I thought a bit of a one-trick pony. And, and I think some fans felt the same, but you can see he had talent. Towards the end of the season, and it's funny because I don't really take much notice of Sky Sports pundits, but this I can't remember who it was, but I did take notice of one, and they were pinpointing how much space he creates for our left back when he cuts inside, and how how much um, width that gives us when he cuts in because of the the way Dennis Serkin, who's our left back, can get down. I thought, oh god, yeah, that's right. And also, coincidentally, at the same time, he started going on his left a little bit more and, and kind of giving it fullbacks an option to make, you know, he's questioning mm. them. And towards the playoffs, he came on the, came off the bench against Chef Wedding in the second leg, made a great run down the left-hand side. I thought he was going to cut in, and I screamed at him to go down his left, which he did. Um, so I can't take credit for it, but I did scream at him. He went on his left, put the ball in. Patrick Roberts comes in from the opposite wing, puts in the, the bottom corner. We go to Wembley, and, and the rest is history. Um, so when we signed him, I was I was quite pleased. I thought, you know what, he's like he's done quite well. He's, he's shown what he's about a little bit, and maybe in time, this boy will develop into a better player. He's he's won the championship, I think, with Leeds, or he's been promoted from the championship. So he's obviously got something about him because he didn't just play one or two games. This season, he's been really good. Um, he had his best game for us probably on Saturday against Bristol City. He absolutely tortured their fullback. 
Um, the fullback could not cope with him. He kept dragging him to the line and cutting in, and the, the boy just didn't know what to do with him. He had an awful lot to do with our, our winning goal. He probably is unlucky not to have an assist because he put in a tremendous ball for Ellis Sims, who scored two harder goals and he missed from about four <laughs> yards out. You could say it was a good save, I suppose, and I'm, I'm sure you'll not mind now that we've won the game, and I certainly don't, but Jack was excellent um, on Saturday. For me, man of the match. And the game prior to that, he scored against Coventry. So I think for us as a fan base, he definitely fits the model of what it seems Speakman, who's our head of recruitment, uh, wants and what the club wants. And he started the season really, really well. And for me, he would be a definite starter on on Saturday. And if if QBR fans don't rate him too much, maybe that's something he, he, he wants to prove he's wrong a little bit. So yeah, 100%, 100% would have him in the team. But for us, he's been he's got better and better. Yeah, well, it's nice to hear that he's actually... Um... I think he's sort of someone that needs a home because it, the move to Tottenham never really worked out for him, just bouncing around. So, you know, it, it, I think there was you know, always talent there, but he just never, he was never going to get into our first team at that time for him, sadly. So he never really played that much, but he was always just sort of on the bench. Um, and uh, our fans uh, sort of react badly if you just have like a sort of average game, it seems to be. Um, Whilst we're on the topic of transfers, how's your squad shaping up towards the back end of the window? We need numbers. Um, I'd say the players we brought in, I'm, I'm happy with, but a lot of them, if you look through our list, a lot of them are like players from last season that we had on loan, uh, which is not no bad thing in any way, shapes as a form. But I think when the season ended, we had Patrick Roberts, who had signed in the January. He'd only on a six-month contract. So I think we had first option, but... He was technically out of contract, as was Bailey Wright, as was Lyndon Gooch. Um, they were all, in my opinion, vital to at least give a contract as part of the squad. Um, as it is, Lyndon Gooch, surprisingly, he's played the most of them out of position. Um, but you seem to develop into a, a half-decent right-back, although that's a debatable point. Um, <laughs> so we got all those signed up. Um, that was important. Um, I think we all are big fans of Patrick Roberts. He actually hadn't started a game in the league yet. But we all like him. Bailey Wright is a, is a leader at the back. He's the same. He hadn't started a game yet, but he had a, a short preseason because he was playing for Australia in the uh, playoff games of the World Cup. So that's maybe understandable. In terms of new faces, we signed um, Ali Ajesi, uh, who came from West Ham. Really highly rated at West Ham. He's like their under-21s captain, I think. Had loans at Accrington and somewhere else. Um, I can't quite remember where, but came in kind of out the blue and the highlights you've seen have been great but we haven't seen him on the pitch yet we might see him tonight against Chef Wed obviously because we're talking before a Carabao Cup game um, the big one for me would probably be Ellis Sims who we brought in um, we definitely needed another striker to compete at least with Ross Stewart we had Nathan Broadhead last year who some fans might disagree with me on this because what do you get in the first team because of Sims and Stewart I don't know but Nathan Broadhead was excellent for us last year. He scored 10 and 20. He's got well-documented injury issues. Um, unfortunately, he's gone to Wigan. The rumours are because he felt he wouldn't get guaranteed first-team football, which is fair because Stewart's our striker. And but that's a great decision to make as well, to be honest. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think so. I, I would have liked him here. It was like a third choice, 100%. Um, but I think the way Ellis Sims played on Saturday, I can understand why he feels he might not get in. Um, Sims, obviously, was alone at Hearts last season, did very well. Had a really good season with Blackpool when he got them promoted. And um, yeah, he looked excellent. He looked strong, athletic, 
powerful. And the other player we brought in was uh, Dan Ballard. I think we paid almost two million for him, which is mad. We haven't paid money for anyone since Will Grigg, and obviously that's scared us off from spending <laughs> money on, on anything. Um, Ballard was a, a great signing. I think Burnley made the bid, and we thought, well, he's going to go to Burnley, really, recently relegated Premier League club. He's had a full season at Millwall last season, and he was also part of that Blackpool team with Sims that got them promoted. Um, he, he looks a really unit. I wouldn't say he was shaky on Saturday, but we conceded two goals. That's not great. Um, but he looks like a real asset, and, and Millwall fans and Blackpool fans were like devastated that he didn't go back. So, as much as we are Sunderland, and I know people don't like hearing that because they think it's arrogant, but we are a big club. We have yeah. got a big stadium. We have got a pull, um, and a bigger pull than a lot of newly promoted clubs will probably have. We are still newly promoted. There is still, like, for a player, definitely caveats to that. Um, so surprising that we got him, delighted that we have, and him and Ellis Sims look like real game changers at the back and, and up top. The rest of the players look like they're going to add to the squad, and, but but we need more. We definitely need more. Okay. Um, and in terms of a player that QPR fans should be looking out for, I think I know who you're going to say, but who's your, who's your uh, who's going to be the player that causes us problems come Saturday? I feel like surprising you, but then I'll be lying. Um, <laughs> I'll give you two because one's really obvious, but um, Ross Stewart, he's there's players in my time that I've loved at Sunderland and they tend to be goal scorers. Uh, Kevin Phillips, I don't need to tell you why I love Kevin Phillips. Uh, Jermaine Defoe, I don't think I need to tell anyone why I love Jermaine Defoe. Um, I really don't like Darren Bent because he left us at a really horrible <laughs> time and that's a long, long story, but he's got so many goals for us and one of the best strikers I've ever seen. So to have a player at like League One level that whether they scored a lot of goals or not would be one of your favourite ever players is a bit unusual, but Ross Stewart really is. Um, I just love him. I, I love everything about him. I love his hold up play. I think he's got a good turn of pace. He's humble, like which is even nice. Um, he, he's from near where I live. Um, he's gone in international honours with Scotland, which is always great to see. He got us out of the division. He scored the winning goal at Wembley, the only time I've ever seen us win at Wembley. And he is a good player. He's, I think he's going to fit into the championship, no bother. I think I said last year that if we get promoted, he'll be like a Kiefer Moore, where he's not just you know a good League One striker. He'll fit in, no bother, and cause people lots and lots of problems. And he's got his first championship goal on Saturday, trademark header. He's linked up well. He caused Coventry problems. People are going to struggle against him. Um and I know you quite like Jimmy Dunn, and I know that Jay Clark Sutler might not play, but if either of them play, I'm licking my lips a little bit. Um, because from from my memory, which is vastly different to yours, I think you'll absolutely torture them. And I think that could be a, a big, big plus for us. I'm sure this players that will torture us from your side as well. But um he's he's our best player, in my opinion. Outside of that, um I'd be tempted to say Jack Clark on recent form, but I'm gonna say Alex Bretchard. He he kind of for me, he goes under the radar because you're so used to him just being like a 7 out of 10 every week. He's mm. creative, he's he's talented, he's nimble, he's strong for being about 5 foot nothing. Um, but Alex, obviously, was at Spurs. He went to Norwich or Huddersfield for 12 million, one way or the other. But he's played Premier League football. He's, he's had a big move and he's had a lot of injury problems. He's came to Sunderland, he's sorted them out and he's he looks an absolute diamond. Um, and he's in his prime. He's 27, 28. I think, you know, anything good that comes from Sunderland either comes from the head or the boot of Ross Stewart scoring them or, or Alex Pritchard creating them. So I'd say one of those two to give you an alternative option, but um, you can probably hear in my voice I've got a little bit of an obsession and love for, for Ross Stewart, and understandably so. Well, if he can keep scoring goals in the Championship, I don't mind, because it hopefully means he will be scoring goals for Scotland. So, you know, 
that's uh, that's no problem for me. Uh, so looking at sort of what your hopes are for the rest of the season, where do you think Sunderland are going to end up? And kind of what would be your hopeful prediction for where you're going to be ending? I can't get my head around the Sky Sports pundits and talk sport pundits saying, you know, Sunderland have got that much momentum, we're just going to go back up. I'd be really taken back if we did that. I'd be even surprised if we finished top half, if I'm totally honest with you. Not because I don't rate the players we've got, not because I don't rate the manager we've got, not because I don't think the future is bright with Sunderland, but, you know, be realistic. It's a it's a tough division. Mm. Anyone can beat anyone. You can go on a 10-game unbeaten run, beat everyone in the league, including all the top teams, then can beat off, like, say, the bottom club, one out at home. Like, the championship, as much as I haven't got a great deal of recent experience with it, we all know what it's about. It's a slog. Not as much as a slog as League One, thank God. Um, but it is a slog. And I think, as I said in pre-season, if we finish anywhere between 15th, 13th, 17th, 16th, I'll have that. I think for a long time, there hasn't been a great deal of pride in the club. It's difficult to celebrate wins in League One. And yeah. I know League One clubs are going to go, uh, but like, it was never that we felt we were too big because we were there for a reason. But League One historically is the lowest we've ever been and definitely in my lifetime so when a couple of seasons prior used to be in Chelsea and stuff like that it's it's hard like and, and whether that's arrogant or not I don't really care um that's the way it was you know accurate in a way for the fifth time is not it's not a novelty anymore uh, yeah. the first time amazing but not the fifth time now that we're out of it and now that we've got players that we like a manager that we trust an owner that seems to know what he's doing um, I'm very reluctant to say he does because I'm scarred immensely from our previous two chairmans. But I think just a bit of pride in ourselves and, you know, making something a bit of a fortress again, making the stadium like a place where teams don't want to come. I think if we make the stadium like a real fortress and we can pick things up away from home, we might surprise some people. You know, we might get like a ninth or a tenth or an eighth. If we do anything better than that, then I'd be really surprised. But <laughs> Um, I'll I'll take safe and nowhere near relegation and a pretty not a boring season a season that restores a little bit of pride so we can we can build next season and we can say to other players you know like look yeah we finished fifteenth we finished twelfth we finished tenth but you know look at the fans on on match day look at how many people turn up look at the club look at the size look at what this can become do you want to come and be part of it I think building brick by brick rather than kind of like building an entire house is probably going to be a little bit more of our um, the way that it should be going and the way that I'd be happy with it going. So so 15th for me, that will do. Yeah, oh, yeah. sounds good. Uh, and finally, a score prediction for this weekend, please. I'll give you mine, didn't I, on my podcast, but yeah. um, I said head and heart, didn't I? So, right, I'll give you my head prediction then um, because I'm on an opposition podcast. I'll give you my head prediction. My heart prediction was 2-1. My head prediction is 1-1. I do think, obviously, with the injuries that you have and the fact that you've had a one win, one defeat, that's the annoying thing. The game that you won was against Middlesbrough, which I think are a team that can be around there. But then again, I've also said the championship, anyone can beat anyone. So, like, making a prediction is just so hard. Um, we were minutes away from getting a win over Coventry. We did beat Bristol City, but we also conceded two goals. And there was a point where, you know, we didn't look that great. I think QPR are probably the best of those three sides. Um, a lot more recognisable players, a lot more ambition and probably those two clubs to get promoted this season. Although Coventry fans might find that a bit harsh. 
Um, QPR historically in, in my lifetime have been a, a Premier League club and they've got aspirations to be there for obvious reasons. Um, so I think it'll be a tough game, but I think with your injuries and stuff like that, we can potentially get on top of you. The last time we played at the stadium, it was 1-1. and It was one of the most dire games I've ever been to in my life in that horrible, horrible championship season. So I think it'll be the same result with a completely different outlook um, on the game afterwards. So I'll say I'll say 1-1. Well, I have to agree with you. I think 1-1 must be a fair uh, result. And thank you for that nice bit of flattery at the end. It's going to really cheer up a lot of QPR <laughs> fans. Um, but I know what I'm doing, you see. That's, that's media for you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's been brilliant. Thank you so much for coming on and answering my questions. So uh, thank you very much. Yeah. Uh, if, if my uh, listeners do want to listen to your podcast, how can they find you? Um, so I think I'm on, I'm really bad at promoting stuff, but I think I'm on Spotify. I think I'm on Apple. I think I'm on YouTube and I might be on some other ones. I get emails occasionally asking me if I want to be on a platform and I just say yes. So I've either signed up for something that's going to charge me and um, send my credit card details to someone or I've signed up for a podcast. I don't really know. Um, but if you want to follow, I think it's at what the fog pod. Um, actually, I don't think I know. I know that it is at what the fog pod. Um, Falk spelt like my name, which is F-A-L-K. And if you want to follow my um, my normal Twitter, it's just Graham Falk. Um, I talk a lot about women's football and a little bit less about Sunderland. So if you're not interested in women's football, don't follow me. Um, follow my podcast and you can get a lot more on Sunderland. Um, but yeah, there's a, there's a few avenues. I think I'm on a few different platforms, I think. Perfect. Well, thank you very much once again. You're welcome. Thanks very much. Thank you very much to Graham for answering a few questions for us about uh, Sunderland on their point of view before Saturday's game. Um, so they, we talked quite a bit about Jack Clark. Um, in fact, because of the being on his podcast and another podcast, I've talked about Jack Clark way more than I'd like to recently. But Micah, he's kind of grown as a player by the sounds of it since playing like twice for us on loan. Um and I learned quite apparently um, Jimmy Dunn and Jake Clark Sorter both played for Sunderland at different points and they didn't play very well <laughs> for them. So he was really hoping that Clark Sorter was going to be playing for us at the weekend, which, you know, unfortunately isn't going to be the case by the looks of it. But going back onto Jack Clark, um, interesting to see that he's sort of found a home in a sense, hasn't he? Moving away from Tottenham, a move that never really worked. Mm, well, he, he found a home in League One uh, with Sunderland. We'll, we'll see how he handles the step up. I'd, I'll, I'll, have to, I'll be interested to see him on Saturday because the one thing with him is that he felt like if we, if we played anywhere that was a bit too windy, he'd worry that he'd even be able to stand up, to be honest with you. Um, and... Uh, <laughs> So it'll be it'll be interesting to see just just how much he has grown. But um, you know, I'm happy for him, I suppose, that he he's found he's found a home and it's not, you know, the Tottenham B team. So good good for Jack. Yeah. Um so let's look at what we'll be doing in this game. Let's look at the QPR perspective, considering we've had the Sunday one comprehensively covered this week. Um let's look at the eleven. There's obviously been quite a few injuries. It's gutting to have five crucial players 
out at this point in the season. Uh, if you needed a reminder, it's Willock, Powell, uh, Richards, Clark, Salter, and Amos. Now, yeah. I, we don't know whether Amos won and the um, Willock won is sort of like recurring injuries. Powell seems to have picked up something recently. Um, with the performance in mind against Charleston, where we did play Nico and Dazelle, two players that probably will play this Saturday. Mike, are you confident? I was a lot more confident uh, about um, around 8.45 on, uh, on Tuesday. I was a lot more confident. Um, Mm. Yeah, there's there's a lot of names to have out in the third game of the season, and I I saw some people talking about obviously our recruitment policy in recent years has been you know we've got a good sports science and medical department that's bringing injury prone players to see if we can fix them up. This is this is you know the the flip side of it, you know you get your your Sam Field bargains and stuff, and your and your whoever else we've brought in in the last couple of years have done well but this is the flip side of it is that you know we're three games in now five players down um you would hope that we have enough quality to beat a newly promoted team but you know much to your annoyance Alex uh as people have said before Sunderland are uh shall we say considered too big to be in league one for the championship uh, and it's certainly brilliant <laughs> after the first two games that they've had. I mean, they got brought back down to earth, I guess, last night with a a defeat to a, a League One side, if you can believe league it. One side, league Another one. League One side that might be too big to be in League One, but you know they are there <laughs> for a reason. Um, the, re- the reason, the reason I say all of that is that you know you would hope we'd still have enough quality to beat a newly promoted side, but Sunderland aren't your average newly promoted side. You know, the Stadium of Light, it's, it's a big stadium. I don't know if you've ever been. It's a massive No, stadium. I haven't, but apparently it's going to be full on Saturday. And, and it's going buoyant. to be, yeah. The, what, what's it? It's like a, like a 50,000 seater, isn't it? The yeah. Stadium like, of Light. I think, like, to say how big and to justify, like, how significant the Stadium of Light is, is that if England was to ever host a proper like World Cup, the Stadium of Light would probably definitely host a few games. That's how mm. big we're talking. Um, mm. like, and it would get in there before some Premier League clubs as well. Yeah. Like this is, you know, it's a very impressive place. But <laughs> let's look back on what we can do. The, with those injuries in mind, I uh, kind of put together two options for our starting 11 and one of them has been uh, suggested the formation at least by a fellow podcaster Dan Lambert so uh, if you are listening to this Dan thanks for the idea because I've stolen it now it's mine Um, (laughs) but the option one is kind of carry on as it is keeping in a sort of like 4-1-2-2-1 formation I guess is what closest to what we've got Uh, obviously midfield changes depending on where people are at you know, like occasionally, you know, Field is pressing a bit higher up the pitch and Johansson is dropping deeper, playing that quarterback role. But if you were to line it up on on a sheet of paper, as I've done, you'd probably say Dieng, Kakai, Dickey, Dunn and Nico is the defence and goalkeeper. Field, Dazelle and Johansson in midfield. And then Chair, Dykes and Adoma. 
so up top in with chair and Adoma coming in as those sort of inverted wingers. Having said that, I would be tempted to start Shadipo over Adoma. But I know cool. that Adoma is probably more fancied. I think Beal's already admitted it. But Shadipo offered more against Charlton. His pace alone, for me, gets him in the side. Mm. Um, yeah, my, my thing with Shadipo is I loved his directness. I love his energy. I love his pace. But I just have absolutely no faith in him in front of goal or crossing the ball. Yeah. And then he, that's been a problem with him since he's 19. You know, he's 25 now. Yeah. I'm thinking when, when, when does he add that to his game? The thing is, though, Adoma didn't really put in many good crosses against Charlton. Sure. He was Very poor, true. which was disappointing, but he was taken off on 60 minutes, which you know, suggests to me that he will be playing at the weekend. I'm uh, feeling oh, he, he will start. I'd be, I'd be surprised if it wasn't. Um... Yeah. But Option there you go, two. Yeah. As suggested by Dan, is a four-one-two-one-two diamond. So uh, this is something that that what what Dan kind of wanted to be made clear is that you know when we brought Beal in, we kind of wanted him. We were wishing that he was going to be flexible, more flexible than Warburton was at times in his formations. Uh, so this is a big call from it the weekend. Like, do you carry on with how it's been or do you mix it up a little bit based on the fact that we don't have, you know, the best players available? So would you play another winger like Shadipo instead of Willock? Or do we sort of cut our losses at this point? Again, it's pretty much the same. Field, Dazelle, Johansson midfield. Do you play chair down the middle in more of an attacking midfield role and then have Roberts and Dykes up top? Yeah. Does that yeah. tempt you at all? No, I, I would, I would be more inclined to stick with the the first one. Um, I would like to see Roberts start. I'm not sure where he is in terms of fitness, but I would like to see Roberts start behind Dykes and next to Chair, um, because I just think he offers just something a little bit different to the other two in the sense that, you know, obviously we know what Dykes is about, we know what Chair's about. You've got a little bit more directness, you've got a little bit more sort of running in behind Roberts as well. And, you, and you've kind of got that, you, you've got a little bit of that um, sort of tendency to want to hold the ball up, which I think might actually, again, I'm speculating here, I don't know, but it might actually just free Dykes up a little bit because a lot of times the complaint with Dykes is always dropping too deep to hold up the ball or whatever. You know, you you bring in a big physical presence like Tyler Roberts to do that. You might allow Dykes to sort of just focus on being a nuisance for the centre-back a bit more. I don't know. I'm just speculating. But I, I would stick with the first one, to be honest with you. Fair enough. Um, yeah, I guess that's kind of all we can touch on with the Sunderland game coming up. Let's have a quick look at the Blackpool match and let's look at them. Um, they've started sort of so-so, 13th place. They're on the same amount of points as us. One win, one loss. Uh, one win against Reading, one loss to Stoke. And then a nil-nil draw and then a defeat on penalties to Barrow oh, in the yeah. Cup. So yeah. a very similar start to the season. They have just made the signing of Charlie, Charlie Patino from Arsenal yeah. on loan. You may have seen a, a chant go viral uh, from their game at the weekend. Um yeah, they seem they were last season they were a well organized side, weren't they? Especially 
away from home, they look like a pretty yeah. decent outfit. Neil Critchley has moved on from to to replace Mick Beal, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, he has actually, yeah. Uh, and now they've got Michael Appleton, who is, after being linked with every QPR managerial position going for like the last five years, has finally found himself back in the championship, which I'm sure has yeah. been lovely for him. Uh, it be interesting to see how they perform under him. But, you know, uh, at, funny enough, he has managed them before. And in his first spell, he came their shortest manager in their history with just 11 league games played. So he's what, like nine away from beating that this time or something like that? Yeah, so, you know. He's doing well. He's 30% of the way there. Good job. Fair play <laughs> to him. Um, what, what do you know about Blackpool? I'm expecting, you know, don't take this the wrong way. I might, might expect you to sort of say, I don't know much. Uh, well, I don't know much. <laughs> <laughs> Nah, what 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 I do know, I I obviously you know, as as a seasoned member of the Argen pod, I do my research. Um, but you know what what I know about Blackpool is that they've got high hopes. Their best player is um one of ours, Josh Bowler. Um, I think a few were actually expecting him to go. I think he was linked with a couple moves from teams at the top of the championship for around three million in the state. Um, so. You know, he, he's going to be a problem. But the, the thing with Josh Bowler is he's very much a uh, a really great dribbler. I saw one Blackpool fan describe him as the best one in the championship. Um, but the, the the concern with him has always been final product, goals and assists. Um, the centre-back, I'm going to butcher his name, Marvin Epicteta. Epicteta, I can't remember... I remember watching him at our place last season and thinking, good Lord, they call him Big Marv, I think. I remember thinking, good Lord, like, I would not want 90 minutes off against him. He looks like a nightmare. Um, they've got some decent players. They've got some decent players. I think um, last year, like, if Blackpool had just survived, their fans would have been happy. But I think, I think they ended up with, like, 60 points. Like, it was a really, really good total for a League One team. Um so obviously new manager in now, Michael Appleton. I think he he's he's a little bit more focused on keeping the ball on the floor. I know for Blackpool last year, the the kind of the sort of stereotype was that oh they're just going to knock it long to uh, to Gary Medine and he's going to give their centre backs a long day, whatever. I think now it's a little bit more focused on sort of building through the back and through the midfield. Um, so it'll be it'll be interesting to see kind of how they how they settle in. Obviously we we sort of do quite a similar thing. So I think, you know, it'll be interesting to see them go toe-to-toe with us. I think it'll be another sort of indicator of how good we actually are up against Blackpool. Yeah. Um, so I guess, yeah, not much else to say about them um, unless we've got numerous more injuries. I kind of expect the same 11 to play against them as as one that played against Sunderland, unless mm-hmm. something goes wrong or gets better. Um, but we're all kind of like up in the air at the moment with injuries. Last, or if at, somebody new comes in. Well, actually, thank you for reminding me because that was, you know, you that's a perfect transition into the news that broke this morning from the Telegraph that Ethan Laird is on his way to QPR. What um, a segue that was. What a segue indeed. Some, you know, don't, don't get ideas about hosting it, like... <laughs> Not after uh, the last time. Uh, yeah, so I asked uh, asked around. Well, I asked Dan what he thought of him, 
and he gave me a paragraph. So I plucked the best things from there. Uh, but, you know, um, even on holiday, Dan is heavily influencing this podcast. He's not um, on holiday. He's on a scouting mission. Uh, yeah. Where's he sure. going again? I've got no idea. Wherever it it, it certainly wouldn't, <laughs> couldn't be me, though. Couldn't be me. Not, not mid-season. I don't Of course not. Um, <laughs> Ethan Laird, then. Pacey player. Suits the sort of profile of what we've been looking for. Good dribbler. But defending isn't much of a strong point for him, as he's usually a wing back. Um, Dan also mentioned that it had the loan to Bournemouth not gone. Well, had the loan to Bournemouth gone better, he might not be coming to us. But he certainly had played a lot for Swansea in the first half of last season, and then basically didn't feature much at all for Bournemouth. So, Ethan Laird, what do you think of this move? Um, what I know of it is from. Uh... My friend Yoan, who supports Swansea, who's a big fan of Ethan Laird. Um, I've got a couple of United fans who say he's good, but you know, United fans say everybody in their academy is good. So, you know, that's not really. Will Keane was good. Run. Will Keane was good. Federico Mercado was good. You know, um, who else? We, we don't do well with United loanees. That's my biggest fear for him. Well, that's because did... they have so many and they're all like, Turns out Man United's youth academy is actually quite rubbish. Like, it's just okay, isn't it? It's just, yeah. It's just, Living uh, off the class of 92 for years. Yeah. I mean, who else? Sean Goss, we had good lord. He was their captain, wasn't he? At the oh. 23. Might be the worst footballer to wear our number 10 shirt. Anyway, sorry, I, I digress. Um, I like the signing. I like the player. Um, again, you know, as Dan said, concerns defensively um i think that's just going to be part of our season really i think we're just going to have issues defend i think bills just accepted we're going to concede a lot of goals just to try and score more um i like the move i like the move i I've, i think maybe i would have preferred sterling just based off the fact that i think defensively sterling might be a bit better but you know ethan laird may not have to do much defending this season so, you know, we'll see. We will see. We will. And, uh, you know, I appreciate the club taking a U-turn on this. And after I told two different podcasts yesterday that we're all expecting Sterling to sign. So thanks for making me look <laughs> like an idiot. But apart from that, that is everything that we have got for you this week. Thank you very much for listening. Um, thank you very much again to Graham for coming on and doing, answering my silly questions about Sunderland. Thank you, so, yeah, thanks a lot for that. It's a great listening. I'm sure you'll all agree. Um, there's nothing much out on the website at the moment, is there, Micah? Apart, I think your article was the most recent one about chair. Yeah, I think so, yeah. So, you know, there's not much there. There is, if you fancy paying for it, a few Our Generation columns coming up in programmes this season. So I think Ben recently had a go at it um we're all sharing it this season so i believe it's my turn next i've submitted mine so that will be in the program for blackpool so if you fancy paying for what you can normally read for free on our generation <laughs> net i appreciate it it's uh, only three pound fifty it's not that much and you're giving money to your beloved club so it's a meal deal that is it's, it's a meal deal club. quite right that's quite right so, yeah, 
thank you very much for listening follow us on twitter follow our generation on twitter uh subscribe to this podcast on whatever pl- platform you are using to listen to us until next time come on you ask. <laughs>